that's our desire this week is to go forward with the gospel. It's good to see you. Glad that you are here. I'll tell you, there's nothing I'd rather be doing on Thursday night than being with you folks. I'm excited about tonight. We've had a wonderful day. I hope you have too. And we're looking forward to what God's going to do in our hearts tonight as we are challenged by the need of the lost around the world. A couple things to remind you about. If I don't shoot these uh, birds while they fly by, I'll miss them, all right? Uh, one thing is, is tomorrow we do have what we call our missionary forum, and that's at 143. Uh, we are inviting all of our uh, homeschool uh, young people. They can come to our chapel services, elementary is at 10 o'clock, high school is at 1042. And then also, if you'd like to be a part of our uh, our forum. We'd love to have you as well, and that's at 143, so I invite you to, to come and be a part of that. If there's any kids here that don't have their passport book, you haven't gotten one of those yet, we have those for you at the kitchen window, and then make sure at the end of the service you go and you have the speaker stamp your passport book, all right? And so all of those details are important, and uh, we're excited about what uh, all of those will bring in our hearts and lives as we continue in our missions conference. Let's have a word of prayer to start the evening. Father, we love you. We thank you for uh, your mercy that's afresh and anew every day. We thank you for the privilege we have to come together to, as a church family and to, Lord, just be reminded of your goodness to us, to be reminded of uh, your saving love and the great commission that you've uh, given to us and what a privilege it is to be used in your service. Father, I pray that you'd use tonight in our hearts. We pray that you would uh, challenge us with your word. I pray that the singing would be that which pleases you. And Father, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and glory for only you deserve it. We ask these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
wonderful choir. Thank you for that reminder. If you will, please now take your conference booklets. Conference booklets, page 21. Now, I have been informed that all the conference booklets are gone from the table out there. So, be a good neighbor. Look around. And if you see someone who is not anywhere near one of these, share. All right? We're so thankful for guests who come in, but we don't want them to feel... Oh! Is that one? Oh, there's a stack of them. Oh, good. All right, so just wave at Brother Dennis if you need one, and he'll pass those out. Somebody was smart and hid some so the children wouldn't take them. All right. <laughs> All right, we're on page 21. We're spreading the gospel. The tune is, We're Marching to Zion. The words are, We're Spreading the Gospel. We'll sing a few verses of this, and then we'll bring the choir down, shake hands a little bit, then we'll sing a little more. All right? Stand with me, please, as we sing. Come ye that love the Lord, and let God's word be known. Involve your life to preach the word. Involve your life to preach the word. And so make Jesus known. And so make Jesus known. We're spreading the gospel, telling the gospel of Jesus. We're spreading the gospel of Jesus as we've been commanded to do. Let those refuse to go whose hearts are hard and cold. But millions who have never heard, but millions who have never heard, will never once be told, will never. Telling the gospel of Jesus as we've been commanded to do. Wonderful. Let's shake hands with one another as the choir comes down. Let's find our places, please, and we'll sing the final stanza. Then go out everywhere. Then go out everywhere and let the lost ones know that Jesus paid redemption's price, that Jesus paid redemption's price because he loves them so, because he loves them so. 
we're spreading the gospel, telling the gospel of Jesus. We're telling the gospel of Jesus as we've been commanded to do. Thank you. Be seated, please. Amen. At this time, we're going to show the Kerr's uh, video, and then Brother Kerr is going to come and uh, kind of just tell us how God's led in his heart and give us uh, kind of an update on where he is and then also take questions. If you lived in darkness, how far would you be willing to go for light? If you lived in the desert, how far would you be willing to go for water? For centuries, Africa has been known as the Dark Continent, and much of Africa is barren and harsh land. Located in South Central Africa, Zambia is known for Victoria Falls. While this wonder of the world creates a kind of subtropical oasis, this is not the case for most of Zambia. Zambian people enjoy many days of sunshine in the dry and hot seasons, but they are lost in spiritual darkness. However, history shows that they thirst for spiritual truth. Great missionaries such as David Livingston broke through physical and cultural obstacles to reach the precious people of this region with the gospel. But as the days of Livingston faded into the pages of history, the darkness returned to Zambia. A new generation of missionaries is needed to bring the life-giving water of the gospel to Zambia. During the summer of 2014, I had the opportunity to go to Zambia and experience this incredible country. While we were there, we went to the crowded markets and it was amazing just to watch as people took a gospel track from a stranger. We went out with the missionary into the bush and we helped with a Bible conference. And while we were there, it was beautiful to watch as these people walked for miles just to hear the life-changing news of the gospel. They even slept on the dirt floors of the church just to be able to wake up the next morning and attend church services. It was their desire for truth that God used to call my family and I to Zambia. Hello, my name is Kyler Kern. This is my wife, Emily, and we are excited to be a part of the new generation that God is calling to Zambia, Africa. We are partnering with our sending church, Concho Baptist Church in Coleman, Texas, along with Baptist International Missions Incorporated to see souls saved. Our purpose in Zambia is to see churches started and national pastors trained. In order to see this happen, we'll be focusing on soul winning, one-on-one -on -one discipleship. We'll also be focusing on the model placed in 2 Timothy 2.2 of training men and women to establish these strong churches so that for generations to come, the faith will be able to continue. We will also be placing emphasis on ministry and reaching young people. This will be vital in a country where the median age is 17.6. Imagine the potential for the gospel to be spread for generations to come if this group of young people were trained as spiritual leaders. Would you consider partnering with us through prayer and financial support so that we can see these people come to Christ? Our time to reach the people of Zambia is limited and we need your help. Joshua 4:24 states, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. All the people of the earth includes the people of Zambia. 
How will you be involved in reaching this country for Christ? Hello, my name is Kyler Kerr. This is my wife, Emily. Our daughter, Eden, is in the nursery. She is 17 months old. She kind of walks, kind of doesn't. Uh, she can walk. If she sees a grandparent in the room, she says, you know what, this guy might hold me and go wherever I say. So she won't walk at that point. Uh, I say all that because nobody ever asks about me. They see her and they start asking about her. Uh, saying that, our table's right over here. Come see her afterwards. She might give you a prayer card. She might start handing it to you and yank it away and watch your face. Uh, she's a child, natural born sinner. She loves it. Uh, it is great. We are going to the country of Zambia, Africa. Zambia is beautiful. You got to see a little bit of it in the video. Uh, we started deputation uh, full-time June of last year. We're at 75% of our support. It is flown by. Uh, I love asking this question. How many of you are 17 years old or younger? Would you raise your hand? Okay, that is, you can raise your hands higher than that. There we go. Keep your hands up. Look around at these hands. You know what you just saw? Potential. A lot of potential. When you get to Zambia, you start looking around. You can put your hands down. You start looking around, and you see all these people, 17 years old and younger, and there's potential everywhere. And they're searching for truth. The problem is there's not very many people actually taking the truth to them. You get into Zambia, I went for the first time in 2014, and there wasn't much of a Muslim influence. We went in April of last year, and we, went, we walked out to go to the market one morning, and we listened as the call to prayer was played. And I realized, you know what? Yeah, no, we don't have very many people taking the truth to them. But the Muslims do. And it was a sad realization. The need in Zambia is huge, and... If I don't take the truth to them, somebody else is going to take their version of it. Uh, at this time, we'll take some questions. Yeah. Oh. Government is very open uh, in so many different ways. It, Zambia is a tourist destination, so we live right at about 15 minutes from Victoria Falls, which happens to be one of the seven natural wonders of the world. So people go there quite often from all around, which makes Zambia extremely open because if you cause havoc, you start losing money. Uh, so the government is wide open to it. Uh, they compare their president back a lot to Trump, uh, actually. He is very much so anti-corruption. He's getting rid of the corruption in this uh, throughout the country, uh, as well as some other things, which is great. James. Population is 19 million. Population of the city of Livingston, which is where we'll be, is 177,000. I think that's Jackson in the back. Did I hear vegetables? Festivals. We do have vegetables. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have festivals in like the way of, uh, okay, so we have 4th of July here in America. They don't have 4th of July. 
they have a National Independence Day, uh, which is in October. I believe it's the twenty. It's the twenty fourth. I was going to say it was the twentieth. It's the twenty fourth because they gained their independence in nineteen sixty four. Uh, any other questions? Yes, ma'am. So I'll start with the medical insurance. It is phenomenal. The agency we're through does have medical insurance. It covers everything outside the United States of America. So it is great. Uh, the medical care facilities are phenomenal for the most part. Uh, majority of our doctors are uh, born in, and raised in India. They go to, the, to Great Britain, get trained in medical, and then they come to us. Uh, so it's a very good medical care. Uh, there are some downsides. Uh, one of the biggest downsides that we have, uh, medically speaking, is if you have a surgery coming up that you think you might need blood on, uh, you have got to find somebody in country that has your blood type, have them go in three weeks prior, donate in your name, pick it up from the facility, and transport it to the hospital in your name. So that's the negative. So we have 72 dialects in Zambia, uh, seven main languages, uh, but English is the main language. So we'll preach, teach, get around in English. We plan to learn one tribal language. Uh, yes, sir? Oh, what do they eat? They, they do eat food. Yeah. I, the food is actually really good. So we have pizza that's really good. Uh, all of our bread is freshly made every morning. Uh, biggest food that we'll probably see is shima. Shima kind of looks like mashed potatoes, but it's cornmeal and it has zero flavor. <laughs> uh, you take it, you grab some spinach, and you eat it with spinach and a sardine. If you have a little bit more money, you eat it with tilapia. I'll eat it with tilapia because I don't like sardines. Uh, yeah. I think I saw a hand over here. Yes, ma'am. The houses are concrete and plaster. Uh, we don't have central AC, but we have AC units in the house. So, I mean, they're not that different. Yes, ma'am. Oh. I couldn't even give an answer on that. Just because there are so many different churches that they go to. So I wouldn't even begin to know where to start on that one. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. In what way is it connected to David Livingston? Yeah. Uh, so David Livingston, one of the things he's famous for is supposedly finding Victoria Falls uh, and naming it. Uh, the name originally was uh, translated Smoke That Thunders. Uh, so he had a big ministry in that area. Uh, so they named it after him. Originally it was going to be the capital, but they decided that being 15 minutes from the border was too close. Uh, so they pushed it seven hours north. What? Oh, 
She told me to mention the museum. We have a museum named after him in the city as well. Uh, it's kind of depressing when you walk into it. Uh, the, I mean, it's named after a missionary, but the very first thing when you see when you walk in uh, is a monkey of a figure of a man, and they teach you what evolution is. Uh, then you go and you get the part where you get the gospel, you see his Bible, you see his hymnal. You, get, you, you can read his handwritten letters. Not great handwriting, but you can read his handwritten letters. Uh, and it's beautiful. You get this small little glimpse of the gospel. Very next room you go to, you learn what witchcraft is, what the tools of witchcraft are, how witchcraft... There's more about witchcraft than there is the gospel in that museum. Uh, but it mimics their culture so, so well. Yes, sir? All of them. The only animal I don't see is the hyena, and I am perfectly fine with that. <laughs> yes, sir? So they all derive from Bantu, I, but it breaks. There's about one tribe for each dialect, so about 72. Let me see. Yes, sir. Yeah, that we would align with. Oh, so Zambia is roughly the same size as Texas. I'm going to throw that out there first because Texas is huge. I, it would take me roughly 13 and a half hours to get to an, a missionary in the northern part of Zambia. There are roughly somewhere between 16 to 19 missionaries that I know of. So it's about one missionary per a million people. Not great statistics. Uh, in the city of Livingston, 177,000 people. I am one of two. Uh, and a lot of those works were out in the bush for the other missionaries. We will be in the city of Livingston, starting a church in the city, uh, because there's a huge need there. Pastor, I'll pass it back over. Amen. If you have more questions for the Kurds, just make sure you head over and talk to them at their table after the service. Amen. Take your conference booklets, please, and we'll go to the back just inside the cover. We'll sing our theme chorus, and as we do, we'll invite all of our guest missionaries to come up to the platform while we're singing. So if you will, please stand with me. We'll all sing this chorus together. I will boldly go forward in the name of the Lord with the news of salvation for a sin-stricken world, never drawing back in fear or unbelief. I will boldly go forward, forward with the gospel. seated please amen we've already had some funds come in for each one of our missionaries and, and I know I had a call today about uh, some a computer and so uh, we're going to have them come up and present their needs I encourage you to pray about how you can get involved in meeting some of these hopefully you guys have come prepared we'll start with brother Birchwell over here and then we'll go across the platform well thank you once again for the privilege of being a part of your missions conference 
some of the needs here, we're still looking to raise eight to 10,000 more dollars for our literature container project. That'll wrap up everything that's going in it and the shipping to get it to Liberia. Uh, looking forward to see how the war is gonna use that. Uh, some Abeka curriculum for literacy. Uh, my wife has an estimate there of about $2,500 for cost for that, for all of the curriculum. Uh, the Bible flashcards, praise the Lord and thank you very much. Somebody gave $200 towards that, so that is a huge blessing. Uh, about $100 left for that particular need. Uh, Missionary Medical Institute tuition coming up in May for me and my wife, about $1,200. And then uh, I did some math here this afternoon. Uh, so we hear more about it in our video tomorrow, but we're going to do some digital outreach and we have some uh, equipment that we need to be able to do that platform in particular. And that comes up to about $3,500. So anything towards that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you guys so much. So some of the same ones as last night. Uh, a generator, uh, which is right about three dollars to $500. Uh, electricity isn't always quite the most stable thing in Zambia. Uh, funds for a second family vehicle, that is right about five dollars to $10,000. Uh, appliances right when we get there I can't even begin to give a estimate number of appliances just because appliances all fluctuate in price I I tried to not just go off of what my wife gave me as a list tonight so I gave I put a couple things on the list without telling her I I know one thing she mentioned recently in the car was a uh, new luggage uh, our suitcases are getting a little worn being on deputation uh, and that is something she mentioned that she would love. Uh, and a water filter. Uh, I don't know a price of a water filter. That is something we are looking into. I will get a kind tomorrow. Good. <laughs> All right. I did come a little bit more prepared tonight. So uh, so this earlier this week, we got to our home in North Carolina on Sunday night. And Monday and Tuesday, we were actually moving to a different house um, right before we came here. But during that process, I borrowed a truck from a friend of ours, and my brother-in-law, who was helping us, uh, actually ran into something with the truck and bent up the back bumper. So I told my friend, the owner of the truck, that, I'd need a, that I would replace that as soon as we get back. So I'm needing to replace the back bumper of my friend's truck, and um, so that'll be about $200. Um, and then also we have a couple of other automotive needs. Um, for our car, we're going. Our, our tires aren't too bad yet, but we're going to need uh, to buy new tires pretty soon. And then uh, we need a set of headlights and a set of windshield wipers as well. I'm um, just getting worn, and, and the headlights are getting too dim. So, as well, um, we do want to purchase a set of the Abeka Bible Story flashcards as well. Uh, we would like to purchase two of those. So I think those are around three or four hundred dollars each. Thank you. Oh,
Amen. Take your conference booklets again, please. We'll turn to page 19. Page 19, O Lord, send me. And as we begin singing, I'll ask the missionaries to uh, go back down off the platform. Thank you, men, for coming up and sharing your needs. Page 19, will you stand with me one more time as we sing? Oh, when I think of all the many millions who do not know the sound of thy sweet name, who do not know the miracle of Calvary, who never can thy great salvation claim, then cries my heart, Teach me, Lord, to care until they know how great thou art. Then cries my soul, my Savior God, to thee. O Lord, send me. save them, and when they know the grace that he imparts, when Jesus shines his love divine within them, when he transforms their sinful darkened heart, they too shall sing, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. They too shall sing, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Lord, I must go to tell thee of Jesus Christ, who died that all might live, resigning all of my own life's ambitions, my life, my soul, my all to thee I give. Then Christ my heart, my Savior God to thee, O Lord, send Then cries my soul, my Savior God, to thee. O Lord, send me, O Lord, use me. Thank you. Be seated, please, and we'll sing one more. It's on page 22. Page 22, Lord, Send Me Anywhere by David Livingston. Let's remain seated, please, as we sing. O Lord, since Thou hast died to give Thyself for me, no sacrifice could be too great for me to make for Thee. Lord, send me anywhere. Oh. 
verse together, I follow thee. I follow thee, my Lord, and glory in thy cross. I gladly leave the world behind and count all gain as loss. Lord, send me
Well, it's been wonderful so far. It's been great to spend some time with uh, the missionaries. And while I'm talking, the little ones are moving on to their class. I got to remember to do that first, all right? But uh, so all the little people are heading that way. Um, and this is Melinda's age group. I think, what is that? Um, what is it? Third grade and down? No. <laughs> kindergarten down. Thank you, Josh. All right, kindergarten down. We have a class for you. But it was good today. We spent a little time with the missionaries, uh, drinking some coffee and just talking. And I almost got called to missions. Brother Birchwell told me he has a church in Montana where there's a couple people that have an open invitation for him to hunt elk anytime he wants. And right there on the spot, I'll tell you what, the spirit was moving in my heart, all right? But no, we've had a wonderful time of fellowship. It's great to have uh, all of the missionaries here this week. And we're just enjoying them, getting to know them, and looking forward to what God has for you or has for us through you this evening. Come preach to us, brother. Thank you, sir. Turn your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. As you're turning there, thank you once again for the privilege of being here. Thank you for spoiling my wife. Uh, that is a special blessing, and uh, you guys made, may have made her year. I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, she has been needing some, uh, some newer, more comfortable shoes, and she was able to get some of those along with some other, uh, some other needs and some other wants. And so I know that was a blessing uh, to her. And uh, thank you for the comfortable accommodations. It's the most comfortable in the church building prophet's chamber that I have ever stayed in. Uh, and, and maybe the only one you stayed in. So it probably is for you too. Uh, but anyways, thank you so much for that and for the meals and everything. We got treated to the cultural favorite, the Chesapeake pizza. Although, Pastor, I did have somebody come up. Where did he go? Where did Pastor go? I had somebody come up to me. I will not divulge their name uh, for the sake of anonymity, but uh, they did tell me that there was better pizza to be had. I wasn't, told them I wasn't sure that I believed them. Uh, but anyways, thank you for just thank you for taking good care of us, for being friendly folk, for you know being a missions-minded church, for swinging by the table and talking to us. If you haven't already, please do. We have prayer cards. Uh, is there anything for you to remember to pray for us? I need all the prayer that I can get. My poor wife, she needs even more because she has to deal with me on top of everything else. And we have some stickers for the kids and for young people. And if you're an adult that wants to put one on your 55-gallon water water jug that you carry around, uh, I'm talking about Stanley's, uh, or, your, uh, or your laptop or whatever they put stickers on, you can, you can come get one of those too. Uh, we're very excited about that. Uh, also, there's a machete over there that I cut off a tip of this finger with the very first day that I bought it in Liberia, so we can tell you that story too. So anyways, please stop by the table, and uh, I've given you guys enough time to get to Matthew chapter 28. I'd like to preach to you guys a sermon this evening entitled, Why Should We Tell? 
Why should we tell? I was about, uh, about to graduate with my master's degree from Ambassador Baptist Bible College. And uh, my father was a pastor in Pennsylvania at the time, had been diagnosed with brain cancer, which did prove terminal. And uh, he had written me a, a letter and sent it to me with a care package. And uh, he had just had his first of a series of surgeries. And I'd come up to visit him for a few days and come back to school. And I was struggling with keeping my mind focused on what the Lord had for me and the future that God had for me. And uh, he knew that. And so he wrote me this letter. And in it was a sermon outline. It's the one you're going to hear this evening. And he had adapted from one of his professor's uh, class notes, Pastor Frank Camp, Romans. And uh, I found that out later, but he said, hey, this may or may not be my own, but here's the outline, make it yours, and someday when you are a missionary, preach this on deputation. So that's what I've been doing. It's become my favorite sermon to preach. I hope it will be a challenge to your heart as it is a challenge to mine every time that I preach this. Reasons why we should tell. Five Bible reasons from God's Word this evening why we should tell. Brother Kerr did an amazing job uh, Praise the Lord for the sermon yesterday addressing our need to deal with our hearts because missions is a heart issue. If God doesn't have your heart, he's not going to use you. He's not going to bless you. You're not going to honor and glorify him. And our purpose as Christians, not just me, not just your pastor, but all of our purpose as Christians is to honor and glorify God by spreading the gospel throughout the entire world. And we're going to see that from God's word, five reasons why we should tell others about the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word and be encouraged and reminded and inspired and, Lord, challenged and maybe even rebuked uh, in areas where we need to be better stewards of the gospel. And, Lord, we all have room for improvement, and I pray that you would help us this evening as we go through your word that we would be challenged to spread the gospel and to be all about our Father's business just as you were when you set that great example for us uh, when you walked this earth many thousands of years ago. Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move. Uh, Lord, it's not about anything I have to say or uh, any of, any of what, what skills and speech I might have, Lord. If, if you're not going to do a work, we're wasting our time. And Lord, we know that you will work because where your word is spoken, it's not going to return void. And Lord, I pray that you would do that and challenge us, uh, help us to be better stewards of the gospel. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Five reasons from God's word this evening why we should tell. And the whole point of this is that it is your job, it's my job, it's every Christian's job to spread the gospel where God has planted or placed or called us. There's nothing special that sets me apart as a missionary, uh, nor there is anything special about Brother Kerr, about Brother Schrock, uh, or any missionary, at least not in any good ways. We are a special breed of people, but it's not in any good manner. Uh, I don't shoot gospel webs out of my palm. Uh, I don't have any uh, more compelling way of telling the gospel than any one of you. Uh, the only thing that sets me apart is that God has called me to spread the gospel in a land that is obviously not the land of my birth. And for some of you here, that applies to you. For some of you, it, it, that, that doesn't apply to you. But at the end of the day, whether it's across the sea, across the city, or across the street, it's God's desire that you be a witness for him wherever you find yourself within his will. So five reasons this evening, reason number one, we find in Matthew chapter 28. Some, uh, probably the most obvious, the clearest, and really the only one necessary. We'll look at four more. But in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, we find the command from the Savior. 
the command from the Savior. Jesus came and spake unto them, his disciples, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Folks, it's very clear. There's been a lot of books that have been written, a lot of rainforests that have been demolished to print these books, if you want to look at that. And really, all of them are not really needed because you can't get any clearer, you can't get any stronger uh, than Jesus' very first command to his disciples, saying, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 says it this way, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. And don't get too carried away with this here this evening, but the under Underlying Greek word there literally means everything in which is the breath of life. It's God's will, it's God's desire that if it moves and if it breathes that he hears about Jesus. We know that Peter would write that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John chapter 20 and verse 21, then said Jesus to them again, this wasn't the first time, nor would it be the last, peace be unto you as my Father has sent me. Even so send I you. Now, David Livingstone was my childhood hero growing up. I was very privileged to grow up in a Christian home with parents, a mother in specific, that wanted God to use her children. And so I grew up reading missionary biographies for school projects and so on and so forth. And Brother Kerr has told me he will hook me up. I will go to Zambia one of these days and we will see Victoria Falls and I'll go to the place where David Livingstone's heart is buried. I'm going to see the museum. And anyways, if I live to do it, it'll be a Amazing. Uh, but David Livingstone is quoted as having said, God had only one son, and he made him a missionary. You know, in John chapter 3 and verse 16, God, God tells us, Jesus himself says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember Jesus when he was just a few years old, you know, he stayed behind at the temple, you know, reasoning with the rabbis about the scriptures, you know, that were prophesying himself. And he told his family, you know, hey, uh, I must be about my father's business. We know the Bible tells us that God sent Jesus Christ. Christ into the world to live, to die, to love us, to preach the gospel and to remind us, to make it clear to us that there was forgiveness to be had with God found in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so just as God the Father sent his son into this world to preach the message of the gospel to a dying world that so desperately needed to hear it, Jesus told his disciples, hey, my time here is coming to an end, but yours is just beginning. And this same message that I have been sent to preach, I am sending you to preach as well. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, another very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples, "...ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me." We're going to park right there for a second. Notice he didn't say that you can be witnesses unto me. If you go to Bible college and get a degree, then you can be a witness. If you're a man and you're qualified to stand behind a pulpit as a pastor, then you can be a witness unto me. Or if you want to be a witness unto me, you might be able to be. He said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. We don't have a choice. The only choice we have in the matter is whether we are going to be good witnesses to show the light and the love and the hope of the gospel within us to the world around us that needs it or whether we will be selfish in our focus and worldly in our lifestyle and bitter in our hearts and push people away from the Jesus that we claim to love. 
And folks, Jesus' command to us today is still to tell all the world. There is no Great Commission 2.0. It's never been updated. It's never been redacted. It's never been amended. It stays the same. So reason number one, very clear, very straightforward. Why should we tell from a biblical perspective is, number one, we have the command of the Savior. Number two, as we turn to Luke chapter 16, please, Luke chapter 16, we're going to find another reason from God's word why we need to be about telling others about the gospel. Luke chapter 16, and there's a lot of Bible truth we could pull out of this passage this evening, but for the sake of time and, and clarity, we're only going to look at one. But in the latter half of Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells this story of these two very different Jewish men. And one is a man of, of power and position and prominence. He was obviously a man of wealth. The Bible tells us he was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Purple was reserved for royalty and the Bible makes it very clear this man had some privilege in life. I would also argue he was a good man. Oftentimes you hear people preach about, you know, he had all the world had to offer and they seem to paint him as being irreligious and maybe even cold and indifferent to the second character in the story. But uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. This is a man who is, he has everything good this life has to offer. Everything we would dream of and desire and to be present in our lives, he, he had it. And then on the other side of the coin, uh, Jesus paints a picture of a man who has only the worst that this world had to offer. The Bible says he didn't have a place to lay his head. He lived on the street outside the property of this rich man. Every, every piece of food he ate was a scrap from this rich man's table, which, by the way, they didn't walk themselves outside. And if you pay attention to the homeless crisis in the United States today, you know that not very many rich people want homeless people outside their gates. So I make an argument from that that this was a good man. He was a moral man, probably a religious man, because he was a well-respected Jewish leader, obviously. But this man over here, he has nothing, his dogs are his only friends, and he has a mortal disease. You know, but the one thing that unites both of these men is the one thing that still unites all men today. They, they both died. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, or when you are, you, your day is coming. And when it comes, there's no escaping. And the Bible tells us that uh, this, this poor man, he dies, and he's carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also dies, and his situation is very different. The Bible tells us that he lifts up his eyes in hell, being in torment. And he sees Abraham and, and Lazarus afar off, and he asks, hey, can you dip your, uh, tip your finger in water and cool my tongue as I'm tormented in this flame? And obviously that, that menial request is denied. Uh, but then in verse 26, we hear the cry of his heart. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him, speaking of Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now we know Abraham says, hey, that's not how it works, son. And they have the word of God. If that's not enough for them, then neither are they going to believe somebody that comes back from the dead or claims to come back from the dead. Uh, but the point of this exchange is simply this. This is a real man who is in hell even still today, very possibly joined by the five brethren that we hear him crying out for somebody to go and tell about the error of their ways. You know, folks, the damned in hell would gladly tell the gospel, and they would doubtless be more dedicated soul winners than any of us in this building because they would fully grasp the reality and the gravity of hell. 
but their time has passed. They already made their decision about what to do with Jesus. And after all, does it not remain to us, the living, who are called by the name of our Savior to tell those around us about him while we still have the time and while they still have the time to hear? Why should we tell? Number one, there's the very clear command from the Savior. Number two, there is a cry from beneath. But number three this evening, as we move along, there is also a call from without. The cry from beneath, we don't get to hear that except in Luke chapter 16. But as we turn to Acts chapter 16, we'll find that this call from without can be heard every day. Acts chapter 16 is where we will find ourselves as we examine this call from without. And we'll pick it up in verse 9. Acts chapter 16 and verse 9. The Apostle Paul, oftentimes we look at him as being the first and great missionary example. Uh, He's on one of his missionary journeys with his missionary team. And he's all geared up, prayed up, and psyched up to take the gospel into Asia. And God is not allowing that to happen. And, And Paul understands that this isn't just, you know, bad circumstances or twist of fate. Uh, God is doing something, so he takes a step back to find out what's going on, and God redirects him in this vision. And in Acts chapter 16, in verse 9, we find the vision. It says, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man in Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Uh, now, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. It's not really a little secret. You know, but oftentimes when you watch missionary presentations, you will see pictures of people that are living in extreme poverty or dealing with tragic situations. And there is something about the plight of that person uh, through that silver screen, so to speak, that tugs at your heart because it is a tangible, visible example of desperation and of need. And there's nothing wrong with that. Isaiah, I believe it's in Isaiah, the Bible says, Mine eye hath affected mine heart. And if, if Brother Schrock or Brother Kerr or myself or uh, Brother, it was McFall, correct? I, I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names. I already know these guys from before, so it's nothing to do with you. Uh, you know, but any of us here today, if we could snap our fingers and take you guys to the country where we are planning on serving or where we have been serving, and we could take you on a tour throughout the country and show you the dire need there, we would gladly do so. Normally we're confined to a few minutes on a screen. So we show you these things. But notice here in this vision, in this missions presentation to Paul, the Bible doesn't say that God showed him a a man in Macedonia who was missing a leg that had been amputated because of a civil war. Or a woman who's selling her, herself on the streets to, so that her children can have a few meals a week. Or, you know, a, a Liberian that's stricken with leprosy or something along those lines. It's not there. This, this is just a regular, average, everyday, run-of-the-mill Macedonian Joe. And this is, the, this is the point that we're driving at here this evening. Missions conferences are amazing. They are awesome. They are a vital part of any flourishing church because a church that does not fulfill the Great Commission is a church whose candlestick has or is being removed because it is not fulfilling its purpose. That's just, that's just Bible. But sometimes it's very easy to become caught up in romanticized needs somewhere across the seas in distant lands while we neglect 
the call from without that we all face here at home. You know, you rub shoulders with people on a daily basis that I will never meet. Your pastor will probably meet them. They're not going to darken the door of this church and hear the gospel. If they're going to hear the gospel, it's going to be from your lips. You know, Jesus told his disciples uh, during the episode of the woman at the well at Samaria... You know, he went somewhere that they did not want to go to talk to somebody they did not want to talk to because he knew that their heart needed Jesus. And, you know, the disciples have gone into the city of Samaria to buy food. And somewhere along the way, you know that they came in contact with this woman who's just been saved. You know, because the entire city is emptying and they're all coming out to see Jesus. And somehow the disciples have managed to stay completely ignorant of what's going on throughout this entire chaos because they didn't want to see it or maybe because they were just focused so much on what they were trying to accomplish that they didn't notice what was going on around them. But they come out to Jesus and they're trying to get him to eat and he's not eating. And they're saying, what's going on? What's wrong with you? You're hungry. You sent us in there to get food. And he says, hey, I've got meat to eat that you know not of. He says, turn around, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already unto harvest. He says, look, open your eyes and see what needs to be done. You know, there's two things about a harvest, my friends that limit our ability to reap it. You know, when I pastored in Pennsylvania, a lot of them were farmers, and they were always talking, the folks in the town, they're always talking about, oh, we got to go get the corn out, and you know, it rained on Monday, it's going to be dry by Thursday, and we got to get the combine out there by Friday because it's going to snow next week. You know, you can't leave your hard-earned crop sitting in the field. You know, one of these limiting factors is the death of the lost. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. There is a day coming for each and every one of us, barring the return of Christ. And you do not know when that day is. And it doesn't come on your terms. I remember on a July night in 2019, my brother was shot through the head during a, a hunting accident involving a mutual friend of ours and I remember holding his head together in my hands as he died and just I will never forget the shock of that night just the total shock this is things that happen to other people it does not happen to me you know maybe some of you you've experienced something along these lines maybe you've lost a loved one tragically or or at least suddenly and you know what that shock is like but you know if you were like me before you know before I turned 25 I didn't know that that even existed it wasn't on my radar my eyes weren't tuned to that I thought we all had forever to do what we were going to do with our lives. And folks, it's just not that way. And that person that you claim to love, that, that person that is your friend, that you share your burdens with, and, and they share yours, you don't know how much longer you have with that person on this earth. So you better share the gospel, be a light for Christ while you can. Wake up and reap the harvest while it is day. But not only do we have the death of the lost, but we also have the return of the Lord. You know, Jesus Christ is coming again, praise the Lord. And we are told all throughout the Bible to look forward to that. 
You know, it's called uh, the glorious, our glorious, the, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we're told that it's the great day of the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 18 talks about it. And then in verse 18, Paul tells us to comfort one another with those words. And for those of you that have a loved one in glory, you know exactly what that means. And so all throughout the Bible to the Christian, the return of the Lord is promised as a glorious thing. But then in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it's painted very differently. Here, Peter is writing in response to questions from the early church, saying, hey, you guys said Jesus was coming back. It's been decades. He hasn't come back yet. Our friends, our loved ones, our family, they're dying. We're putting them in the ground. And Jesus has not come back. Have we missed it? Did you guys misunderstand something? Explain this. And so Peter writes, and this is his response. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He says, look, he hasn't forgotten as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. He's patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And when the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And here we find the return of the Lord being equated with the apocalypse that is going to end our created universe as we know it. And it's because that very day that brings our deliverance as born again children of God sets in motion the time, the ticking time clock that brings about the eternal damnation of all of the rest of humanity. That day that brings our deliverance begins their damnation. Now folks, we need to heed this call of the harvest while there is still opportunity. That friend, that loved one, that person that you are thinking about even right now that you know you need to tell about Jesus because if they didn't show up at work tomorrow, if they didn't pick up the phone the next time you called, if they weren't at that next family reunion, you know you would never see them again. That person, you don't know how much longer they have on this earth and you don't know how much longer you have either. So reap the harvest while you can. Why should we tell, number one, the command from the Savior? That's serious enough. Number two, the cry from beneath. We have this tragic cry of the damned for those that they love that are left behind. And then number three, there's that call from without that I hope you will be paying attention to even more as we move forward from this evening. But number four, there's a constraint from within. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and here we're going to see the constraint from within. You know, the Bible makes it clear that God is love. It's said over and over and over again, and we're not here to get caught up this evening in the debate over which is greater, God's holiness or God's love. God tells us that God is love, and that's what we're looking at right now. We'll look at the holiness part in just a minute. And we know this love that sent Uh, Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary to die for our sins, the sins of the whole world. We know that it was love that brought him from the throne of heaven to walk this earth as a man, to live and die a perfect life and 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 an undeserved death for our sakes. 
And we know that that love that we've experienced from God is supposed to be filling us. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, the Bible tells us that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and hide it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Ye are the salt of the earth. The salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted. It sends forth good for nothing, but it be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. And I heard an old Southern preacher say once, you know, if you're not, if the Lord's love is not visible in your life, you're good for nothing but de-icer. And then I was remembering, you know, in the Middle East, they don't even have ice. So you're not even good for that. So God's desire is that that love that reached us is supposed to be shining abroad in our hearts. It's not supposed to be able to be hid. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul has this to say about the love of Christ. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Now, you've probably not used that word in the last week. If you use it in a Scrabble game, it might be an instant win. But this, this word means to be bound. It means to be controlled. I remember uh, <laughs> while well, I was still in Bible college, there was a, a friend of mine. Uh, we are still good friends to this day, okay? So I, that needs to be said now. Uh, but the semester had just started, and here I am. I, I'm, in the, I'm, in the <laughs> I'm a senior, you know? I'm supposed to know better. Uh, that's, that, that's another story. But uh, a friend of mine was a prison guard, and, and he had just come, and he was showing me the techniques that police officers use to handcuff an individual. And there's, a, there's just a science to it. If they get one cuff on you, it is done. It is just simply done, if they have any clue what they're doing, that is. And he had shown me like three or four times, and so now I am a certified police officer, all right? So I take those cuffs from him, and I go walking down the hall of our dorm. By the way, it's the first day the dorms are open for that semester. So everybody's filing in, and I was looking for my brother, and he must have had a sixth sense tingle, and he left the building right as I came out of my dorm room, and I saw him. I'm walking down there to see if I can catch him before he gets to the car, and out steps this brand-new freshman. His parents had just dropped him off. They had just left the premises, he walks out, and, and by the way, I, I'd been his camp counselor at Camp Barnabas two years. So he knew me, he trusted me, he thought we were cool. And I walk into him, or he walks into me, and I'm an equal opportunity predator. So I grabbed this five foot four kid, and I slammed him up against the wall, and I took those handcuffs, and I wrapped his arm behind his back, and I had him cuffed before he knew what was going on. Or he still thought I was friendly at that point. And I went to lower him down to the ground, and it was right around that moment he realized this is not good. And it was also at that moment I realized I don't know what I'm doing. Because instead of being lowered gracefully to the ground, we both fell to the ground, me with my knee in his back and not knowing when to stop. I'm on top of him yelling, stop resisting, stop resisting. Anyways, we are still friends to this day. We're going to go fishing in June. So praise the Lord for that. But uh, it was a learning experience for me and, and for him. But the point of the matter is, he was being constrained. He was very constrained. He was controlled. He was bound. He was completely under the control of something other than himself. And Paul here says, the love of Christ constraineth us. It binds us. It drives us. 
Because we thus judge, we know this, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He says, you want to, you want to know why I get out of bed every morning? You want to know why I am who I am, why I preach what I preach, why I travel and go where I go, why I suffer the things for the cause of Christ that I suffer? It's because of this. It's because of the love of God. It's the grit in my crawl. It's the gumption in it is what I do because of God's love for me. And friends, he didn't have anything that you don't have this evening. You got the same love of God in your life that was in his. And it should be constraining you just like it constrained him. Everything in between verses 14 and 15 and the end of the chapter talk about the transforming power of the love of God in a life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That's in this passage. We'll go all the way to the end there. Verse 20 says, Because of this love of Christ that constrains me and changes lives so dramatically for the cause of Christ. And verse 20 says, Now then, because of these things, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God to beseech you by us, I pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He says, because of God's love in my life, I am a missionary. Because of God's love in my life, I can't help but ask people to come to Christ. I can't help but preach the gospel. What can't you help doing today? Why should we tell? Number one, there's a command from the Savior. There's this cry from beneath. There's a call from without. I hope that there's the love of God constraining you from within. Folks, this Bible, if you find a child of God that has no interest in telling the world about the gospel, I will show you a child of God who is not right with God because the Holy Spirit is not having free reign in their hearts. And number five, as we come to a conclusion, the most somber of all of these reasons why we should tell others is the condemnation on sinners. The condemnation on sinners. You know, folks, God is not willing that any should perish, and we praise the Lord for that. It's the only reason why He sent His Son to die for us. It's the only reason why we have a purpose in life and hope of heaven in the future. You know, but even though He's not willing that any should perish, the wages of sin is still death. Nothing changed there. You know, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is anything that I think, that I say, or that I do that displeases God. And the Bible says that no matter how good you are, none of us can live up to God's standards of righteousness and holiness and perfection. I know there's at least a few hunters in the room here. You know, I think about what it means to sin. And I go back to the very first deer that I ever killed. I was a 16-year-old boy in a deer stand on Sunday morning. And don't worry, I was in my place in church when I, when I was supposed to be there and I'm sitting there I'm hunting I got so excited these three deer walked almost right underneath my tree and brother in the camouflage the, the, the biggest doe was from me to you and I was so excited and I was so nervous I had so much adrenaline in my system I missed her by a foot and a half from from this this distance right here I missed the mark that's exactly what the word sin means, to miss the mark. Now, praise the Lord, she was dumb enough to stand there, so I did get her the second time. So praise, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord, we all get second chances, amen? You know, but we've all sinned. The Bible says that 
our righteousness is as filthy rags in the eyes of God. When I was in Liberia, I cut off the tip of this finger with a Liberian machete that is sitting on my table over there. Don't worry, I've dulled it. And I remember after we sewed that back on with a fish hook with a barb filed off, and it didn't quite fit back the way that it came off. Uh, it was a horrible sight to behold. And it, th those bandages had to be changed very regularly. And for any of you that have ever dressed an open wound, you take that off, and it's, it's revolting. Very unhygienic. And when the Bible says that our righteousness is his filthy rags in the eyes of God, the word literally means used bandages. Folks, you're probably a good person. You're probably better than me. You might even be a better person than Pastor Godfrey, but you will never be good enough to walk up to heaven and say, my good works outweigh my bad, so therefore you have to let me in. Folks, we don't get to write the rules. We don't get to write the standard. God's, God does. And the very fact that a human being would be born outside of the relationship with God that we were created to enjoy, that alone is an offense in the eyes of an almighty God, and our very existence is sin. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. God sent His Son to tell us how it could be done. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I would love to stand here and preach that you could do whatever you wanted to do and get to heaven as long as you were sincere. That would be the easy thing to do. I would get to lay my head on my pillow at night knowing that everybody's going to heaven. And I would also get to know that no one would ever take offense with anything that I ever said. But the truth of the matter is, all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. Death in this life, and death in the next. The Bible says that death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death for those that do not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. In this life, after you leave this life, you will be separated from God for eternity in a place of torment called hell. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has provided a plan of salvation. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Folks, if there's been a point in time in your life where you understood that you were a sinner and that you could not save yourself, and you believe that God sent His Son to die on the cross of Calvary to pay that sin debt that you could never pay, and you called out to Jesus Christ and you said, Dear God, I'm a sinner. And I believe you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary for my sins. Would you please save me today? If there's a time that you called out on the name of the Lord to save you from your sin, then you don't have to worry about hell anymore. Because Jesus has got you. God has provided a plan of salvation, my friends, that has to be accepted. John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the only begotten Son of God. Verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, no matter how sincere they may be. 
as we come to a close here, we reach this fact that the plan of salvation, as glorious as it is, cannot be accepted if it's never told. My friends, you're not saved if you don't believe. It's just that simple. And then in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, Paul answers under divine inspiration that ominous question of, well, what happens to those who never hear the gospel? What happens to those in deepest, darkest Africa or in the mountains of Mongolia or in the hills of India that never hear about Jesus Christ? Paul says, hey, this is why it's so important that we tell people. He says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Folks, the gospel has to be told so that it can be heard and so that it can be believed, so that it can be obeyed and people can be saved. So if you're here this evening and maybe you've heard the gospel your entire life, maybe you haven't, maybe this is the first time, and you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, you know what, there's not been a point in time in my life where I've actually thought about the fact that I'm a sinner and that I need Jesus. And there's not been a point in time in my life where I've knelt down and asked the Lord to save me. Then you need to take care of that today because you can hear it all day long, but until you believe it, it does nothing. And for those of us here today that are saved, there's been a point in our time, in our lives, we've accepted Christ. We need to understand the fact that God does not hold guiltless the believer who does not warn the lost. I have shown you from God's word this evening how those who do not hear will die and go to hell and how it is your responsibility to be a part of telling them here, there, and everywhere through the Great Commission. Ezekiel chapter 3, this is the last place we will turn and then we will close. Ezekiel chapter 3. In Ezekiel chapter 3, we find God speaking to his man, his prophet Ezekiel, and saying, Ezekiel, I'm giving you a message to preach. I'm giving you a word of warning from my mouth that needs to be spoken to those who need to hear it through yours. In Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says, It came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. He says, look, Ezekiel, you're my man. I have chosen you to give my message to the people that so desperately need to hear it. And if you don't give it, there will be consequences. And I will know, and I will hold you to account. But if you do what I've asked you to do, whether they listen or not, you have fulfilled your role as a faithful servant. Folks, the results aren't up to us, just the task. For everyone that has been in the military or knows anything, maybe you just memorized that poem about those that charged into the valley of death, you know, the noble 600. You know, maybe you remember that from literature class. The poem says, it's theirs but to do and die. There's not to reason why. We're not called to win. We're called to fight. We're not called to bring people to Jesus. We're told to tell them about him. We can't do the work in their hearts. God can but he's asked us to play a part. 
we will either be faithful watchmen that fulfill our purpose, vessels that God can use, or we will be rebellious vessels to reproach in the eyes of our Savior. Folks, five Bible reasons here this evening why we should tell. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Nobody looking around. You know, this evening we saw from God's Word five very clear Bible reasons why we need to be all about telling others about the gospel. There's a command from the, from the Savior. There's a cry from beneath. There's a call from without. There's a constraining love of God within us. There's a condemnation on sinners that is still on all those who have not believed in Jesus Christ. You know, maybe you're here this evening. And maybe you're one of those folks that condemnation is still on you. If you were to die today, you could not know for certain that heaven would be your home. And if that's you, I would ask you, please, please come to the front. Talk with the pastor. Nothing would make our night more than to know that somebody has been saved from hell and found their way to glory through Jesus Christ. Please do not leave this place tonight. If you do not know that heaven will be your home, find somebody, talk to them, know for certain today that you will go to heaven the moment you leave this earth. You know, Christians, we have a very clear responsibility. We have a very clear role. And maybe you're sitting here this evening and you're thinking, you know, the Holy Spirit has put somebody on your heart right now. There's a face in your mind, maybe several, people that you know that need to hear the gospel, people that you love and hold dear, that if they were to die right now, you wouldn't know where their soul would find its eternal resting place. Now, I'm going to ask you, if, if you fit that category this evening, will you just come to the front and pray for those people? Say, preacher, there's somebody that I know needs Jesus you know, come to the front and pray for them. Come to the front and ask God to work in your heart to give you boldness, to give you clarity, to give you the opportunity to speak the name of Jesus and to give that soul assurance of heaven. And friends, I'm going to turn this over to, to Pastor. But as God so loved the world to give His Son for it, and as Christ so loved the world to lay down his very life for it, may we too so love the world that we tell our family and our friends and all those that Christ has entrusted to our lives to tell them about the cross. Pastor. Father, I pray that you'd work now in this invitation. We're careful to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed as the pianist begins to play. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this evening, if you're sure not sure that heaven is your home, why don't you come down here this evening, take me by the hand. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady take you to a private room and just show you from the Bible how you can accept Christ. If you're a man, we'll have a man take you to a private room and share with you the gospel and how you can accept Christ as your Savior. We aren't going to embarrass you. You're not joining the church, nothing like that. We just want you to know that heaven is your home. Christian, how about you? Are you responding to the call of the gospel?
Are you obeying that command that's from above? That cry that's beneath? Do you believe that that's there? You know, sometimes I think we just acknowledge hell theoretically, theologically, but it doesn't change the way we live. are coming. How about you? That call from without, those folks we rub shoulders with every day. Do you stop and just think about the cars that are passing you by as you're driving down 64 and how many of them are lost souls? You would take your hymnal. Let's sing a verse and a chorus of this song that the pianist is playing. Page 532, Must I Go Unempty-Handed? A great question to ask ourselves this evening as we close this portion of the service. Sing with us. Must I go and empty-handed thus my dearie? Not one day of service give him, lay no trophy at his feet. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him, must I empty-handed go? Amen. If you would be seated as our ushers are passing out our Faith Promise Missions cards. You're visiting here this evening, and we're glad you're here. We hope that the service was a blessing to you. After the service, we have a, uh, a gift for you over here on the side. Uh, Tyler, area, we have one of our staff members over there. We'd love to learn how you found out about Great Hope and just learn your name and just want to give you that gift. And thank you for your presence here. If everyone would take a card, you say, well, I'm, I don't understand what's going on. That's okay. Just take one. There's a lot of people who do understand what's going on, and we're going to explain it. Uh, but we try to hand a card to everyone so that no one is singled out. We don't want someone to say, well, I want one of those cards, right? It's, uh, we want to keep this between you and the Lord. And so we pass out cards to everyone to keep, uh, to preserve anonymity and allow everyone to be able to, uh, to be able to be uh, take part in this in, um, in a way in which is secretive. Here at Great Hope, we use Faith Promise Missions Giving, or Grace Giving is another term for it. And this is how we individually um, are involved in the Great Commission. Yes, we're involved as a church corporately, corporately but also individually, because we believe the Bible teaches us that we have to be involved, that we have to go to our Jerusalem as, as well as send others, send substitutes around the world, which we call missionaries. And so this is a way for us uh, to support the missionaries that God has called uh, to their Jerusalems around the world and whatever country that God's called them to. And so the card says this, independence upon God. We encourage you to pray about this. Don't just make an emotional decision. 
Uh, we believe that this is a process in which you grow and you learn as we preached on. Uh, two Sundays, the last two Sundays, I encourage you to go back, or two Sundays ago, uh, go back and look at that series on 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But it's a process, and, it, and God grows you in this grace specifically of giving uh, to world evangelism. And so we, pray that, uh, we encourage you to pray about it. We encourage you to uh, seek God's will on, on how to get involved. He says, I will give to world evangelism. So what do we do? We take these monies. We don't pay our staff. We don't pave our parking lots. These monies go for the Great Commission, both here in our Jerusalem and around the world. And we're very specific on how we spend these monies. Of course, our church knows that. We publish a, uh, a, a budget, and we are in, endeavoring on a number of fronts to promote the gospel uh, around the world. And it's through Great Hope Baptist Church. Someone says, well, I give, you know, I just, I just kind of do my own thing. I'm kind of a maverick. Uh, I don't believe there's any mavericks in missions, all right? I believe that missions is the responsibility of the local church. I believe the Great Commission wasn't just given to the uh, 12 apostles or to the disciples in that moment. It was given to the local church. And the institution that God is using in this dispensation is the local church. And uh, it ought to be connected to the local church. And so we're a local church. We're a body of believers that are joining together to promote the gospel around the world. And then it goes on and it gives you a place to put the amount that God would lead you to give. The decimal point there is the most important aspect of that. All right? If you get that decimal point wrong, it really messes up the whole thing. All right? and so in fact, it's so, so, it's so important we provide it for you. So make sure you uh, put down the right amount there. Then we have the frequency by which you feel like you, uh, God would lead you to give weekly, biweekly, monthly, or yearly. It says, I understand that I will not be billed for this. It is a faith commitment between God and me. You're never going to get a letter from our church. You're not going to get anything. This is between you and the Lord. If someone finds out about it, it's because you tell them, all right? Uh, but this is something that we encourage you to do based on your relationship with the Lord and the love of God that constrains us to be involved in missions around the world. And then there's an age group there, and uh, that's important, all right, because we want, a, um, we want a legitimate promise by which we build our missions budget off of, which we know how many more missionaries to take on throughout the year. And so that's why we do all of that. Let's have a word of prayer. Then you can fill those out in our, our, uh, if God leads you to do so, and then our ushers will pick those up. Father, we pray that you would bless this time, give us wisdom, give us direction as we move forward. And uh, Father, as we're engaged for the furtherance of the gospel, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If God has led you to fill that out and get involved, then go ahead and fill that out. And you can pass those cards to the aisle. Please turn them over when you pass them. And our ushers will be uh, down in just a moment to pick those up from you. All right, if you've got that filled out, if you would, just slip it over, pass it to the aisles. Our ushers will come and collect those from you. Make sure they get all those. Look, you can pass the card in. We're going to pass them out again tomorrow night. And we'll also do it on Sunday so you don't have to hold it or keep on to it. You, uh, we'll get you another one. Amen. I know it's just to tell some uh, pastor joke that's not funny. But I, in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell a story on one of my boys 
I love to tell stories with my boys. Uh, they give us comedy relief. It's amazing. I should have written them all down as a parent. And, like, you know, I remember back, was it Reader's Digest? You used to be able to, like, write in a little thing that your kids did and get some money. I, I never was smart enough to actually do all that. But this is the latest one. So Jared comes to Kristen the other day, and he goes, can you get this shame off of me? And she didn't know what he was talking about. She says, what? Because she thought she, maybe she didn't hear him right. She says, what? And he goes, the shame, it's on me. And she's like, honey, what are you talking about? He said, well, Joel said shame was on me. <laughs> so apparently Joel told him, shame on you. And he's like, I got to get it off of me. I, I can't live like this. <laughs> like, get it off. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Yeah, you just never know what's gonna, what the little guys are going to do. Oh, it's fun. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what, that was a wonderful message. It's been a great conference so far. I encourage you to come back uh, tomorrow night. And... Uh, Looking forward to our international banquet on Saturday, and that's going to be wonderful. Don't forget about men's prayer breakfast. We have men's prayer breakfast at 8 o'clock uh, this Saturday. And so, guys, uh, I'm sure that text will jump out here here soon, but I encourage you to come. We had a great men's prayer breakfast last month, uh, close to 40 guys in attendance, and just had a wonderful time. And uh, then also, after the service, don't forget, young people, uh, we have your passport book. If you have not gotten one, maybe you're new to the services. You can get that stamped by our uh, speaker, which was Brother Birchwell this evening. And uh, that's important for your prizes on Sunday, all right? So if you get all your stamps, I think it's a graduated system. But Mr. Halleck, he is, uh, he is our official passport, what do you call it, customs. He's our customs agent uh, for our missions conference. And he will award you uh, for being here and getting your stamps. Amen. You can tell our ushers are out of practice playing cards. That's good. They're trying to find the, the ones that have been filled out. Someone, I remember when I was pastoring in the mountains, we started a Faith Promise Missions program. And they had, they had never had one. In fact, uh, they had a lot of erroneous thoughts on Faith Promise. The pastor before me had preached against it. And, um, and we had to correct a few a few concepts people say one guy walked at me and says so this all this money just goes to BIMI which was one of the mission boards I said no that's not how this works <laughs> I said it doesn't work that way I said a, a, a mission board is just an agency that assists the local church and helps the missionary get to the field and the fact of organization and uh, insurance and and things of that nature and then I remember um, I said no these monies go to the missionaries that we believe God wants us to get behind and support so they can go preach the gospel around the world um, I remember one, uh, one person said, well, I gave a card once, but I haven't given any cards for the last couple of years. Am I supposed to fill this out every year? And I said, yes, absolutely. What happens, I said, is we start from zero every year, right? Whatever the church promises, uh, that's what we use. And so if you made a promise last year, we don't carry that over into this year, right? And so your promise from last year at the end of this year, which we're at the end, our missions conference really is the beginning of our next missions year. Uh, you, uh, you have to pray and ask what God wants you to give this year, specific to um, his working in your heart at this point. Man, you guys are on the ball. They already completely organized all these. Here I was making fun of you, and you guys got it together. All right. Amen. All right, let's go at it here. Start with the weekly. We have $5 a week from a junior. Praise the Lord. $10 a week. $15 a week. All right, we have bi-weekly. 
We have $125 bi-weekly. $100 bi-weekly. $6 bi-weekly from a junior. $25 bi-weekly. $100 bi-weekly. Now monthly. $4 monthly from a junior. Amen. $2.25 monthly from a junior. Amen. $5 monthly. $25 monthly. $5.99 monthly from a junior. Amen. $50 monthly. $595 monthly. $350 monthly. $30 monthly. $100 monthly. $475 monthly. $200 monthly. $100 monthly. $35 monthly. $435 monthly. Yearly. $200 yearly. $50 yearly. $25 yearly. $1,250 yearly. $10 yearly. $1,200 yearly. $13,000 yearly. $12,000 yearly. $500 yearly. $5 yearly. This is great. Instead of putting junior, they made their own box and put preteen. That's important. It is important. I understand that. $5 yearly. $365 yearly. $2,860 yearly. $600 yearly. $10 yearly. $30 yearly. $100 yearly. $60 yearly. $2,000 yearly. Where are we? The suspense is killing me. 
$153,437.38. Amen. We got three lights. Praise the Lord. That's a wonderful blessing. We missed 90. It didn't go. I didn't turn on. Ha ha. There we go. Amen. What a blessing. What a blessing. You got to come back. You got to see us go all the way to the top. Amen. All right. If you would stand with me. We'll be closed in a word of prayer. I'm going to have Brother Halleck grab uh, Brother Wilson's microphone there and close us in prayer. Don't forget, uh, young people, to stop by and get your uh, passport book stamped. And then if you're visiting with us tonight, we're thankful you're here. Please stop by and get the gift that we have for you over on the tile area. Brother Halleck, close us in prayer. Lord and gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the service we've had tonight and the message. We pray, Lord, that you just minister to hearts. <clears throat> Help us to be faithful, to uh, seek your will in our lives as far as our faith promise and about uh, reaching across the street or around the world. We pray that you'd bless, give us uh, safety as we go our way, and bless our missionaries. Use them in a special way the remainder of this week. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.